My name is Sky, and I'll be reading from the Bible for us this morning. Um, our first uh, reading is Psalm 100, and Jeff has already given us a sneak preview of this psalm in the kids' talk this morning. If you have one of the Bibles uh, from up the back, um, you'll find Psalm 100 on page 526. A psalm of thanksgiving. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Next, uh, we'll be reading from John chapter 10, verses 7 to 10. So if you want to flip over to the New Testament, uh, and you'll find, if you have a Bible from the back, you'll find John 10 on page 952. John 10, starting at verse 7. Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Good morning again. Uh, my name is Nathan, and if I haven't met you yet, um, it's because I'm lazy or you weren't here last week. Um, I normally go to church at four with my family, uh, but it's been a real pleasure to come and join you in the morning as we start our year looking at the Psalms. Um, that's where we'll be this morning, so jump back to Psalm 100, and uh, it'd be good to have it in front of you. Last week, we saw that the key to unlocking the Psalms is through the Christ. The pursuit of happiness in Psalm 1 was not primarily about us and our efforts, but about finding refuge in the truly righteous one. Now, there's an order of application when we read the Psalms. It goes ancient Israel, Jesus, and then us. Because the Psalms were first written for Israel, and they sang them long before Jesus arrived on the scene. But the Psalms do look forward to Jesus. He is the righteous man of Psalm 1. He is the Christ of Psalm 2. He is at the centre of God's plans and purposes for the world. And so if we take our refuge in him, then the Psalms might apply to us as well. But today we add genre to our approach because as much as we might learn some of these theological truths from the Psalms, that is not their primary purpose. The Psalms are songs and songs are written to be performed. We're at point one on the outline if you're following along. The Psalms are for singing. The first concert I ever went to was the Rolling Stones at Homebush. They didn't come with a slideshow and ask the audience to sit and read their lyrics. Songs are for singing. 
God chose the genre of the Psalms. Have you ever thought about that? His choice is important. It tells us that the Christian life is more than just head knowledge. It is experience, participation, emotion. Songs stir us and engage us. And perhaps most importantly, they orientate us. When we say the words of a psalm, we enter into its world, not to reinforce our own perspective, but to have our perspective changed by God, to be reminded of the way he sees the world, to have our emotions, our hearts, our minds redirected back into alignment with him. The world that we inhabit is the world that affects us. So today we're going to enter into the world of Psalm 100 and I'd like for you to perform it with me. We don't have a tune, sadly, uh, but we do have our voices and so I'm going to ask us all to recite the words together and as we do, what do they feel like? What kind of emotions? What kind of message? Let's read Psalm 100 together. You can follow in your Bible or along on the screen. It's a psalm of thanksgiving together. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, and his faithful love endures forever, his faithfulness through all generations. We're at point two, the world of Psalm 100. The first thing we do with a psalm when we read it is just feel the vibe of it. This psalm has some good vibes. It is only positive. There is no sadness, no lament, no wickedness, no rebellion. In the world of Psalm 100, everything and everyone is right with God. Now step out of the psalm for a moment. How does this correspond to life as we know it? The whole earth today does not serve the Lord with gladness. Our world is messy So why is everything right in the world of this psalm? Now we notice some details. There are three key truths in this psalm, three things that once realised will result in this kind of song. We're at point three, the Lord is God. Verse three begins with this realisation. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. Now, what might not be clear in our English, but is unavoidable in the original Hebrew, is that this psalm uses the personal name of God, Yahweh. It says, acknowledge that Yahweh is God. Now, by process of elimination, if the personal God of the Bible is God, then no one else and nothing else is. For ancient Israel, they had a lot of alternatives. When Moses came to Pharaoh, it was on behalf of the God of Israel because Egypt had their own gods. The Akkadians had Dagon, the Babylonians had Marduk, Israel had Yahweh. 
the God of Israel. But when God rescued Israel out of Egypt, he crossed over into somebody else's territory. He exercised divine power on another God's turf. And he said, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. In Israel's history, Yahweh showed that he had power over all nations. Reality showed that he was the only God worth having. Israel learned to be glad that he was their God and not the alternatives. Marduk became the god of Babylon through violence. He, all the gods of the ancient Near East were volatile, emotional, selfish, dangerous, and humans were just collateral damage. The Babylonians believed that Marduk killed the next most powerful god, and so now they had to worship him. There was zero relationship. You never know where you stand before Marduk. You can only assume that if something goes wrong with your life, it's because he's angry with you or perhaps he's doing battle with yet another God and you just have to wait until they sort it all out. It was a harsh, scary, uncaring world. Israel were glad that Yahweh was their God. What are our alternatives today? No God? And so we are alone our lives governed by chance and misfortune, and when you're dead, it's all over. A deist God, an impersonal God who created the world and but then disappeared and left us just to survive in the mess. Perhaps I am God. My life is about me. I choose my meaning. I am the master of my own fate. But a world with seven billion gods in it will not result in peace and harmony. Think carefully about the world we live in. And who are you going to acknowledge is God? The alternatives fail to inspire. The happy world of Psalm 100 recognises that the God of the Bible is God. And not any of the alternatives. We're at point four. The Lord is good. Verse five in this psalm gives us a second truth. The Lord is good. It's not only that Yahweh is the one true God, because that could still be a terrifying and impersonal world to live in. It's more than that. He is also good. But what is good? We kind of know but we might find it hard to actually define. And so that's what I'm going to ask you to do with the person next to you. You've got 30 seconds. Ask one another, what is good? Go for it. All right, that'll do. We're going to have to think about what good is in God's word and God's world. In Genesis, 
God creates light and darkness, earth and sea, the plants and the animals, and looks at his creation and saw that it was good. Good in the Bible and good in the world is when everything is is, everything is as it is supposed to be. When things are the way they are supposed to be. It's about purpose. A good meal fills you up. A good road is safe to drive on. Sometimes they're hard to find. Biblical good and good in the world is when things are the way they are supposed to be. Now the source of order and purpose and goodness in the world is the one who made it and gives it that purpose. God doesn't just do good things. He is good. And so the things that he does are good. A God who is good can give you a life that is good. He can give you life as it is supposed to be. You just have to know how to get yourself right with him. We're at point five. We are his. The third truth that establishes the world of Psalm 100 is also found in verse three. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now, in one sense, this is true of all people in creation. God creates the world. He knits us together in our mother's womb. But this verse, I think, suggests more than mere creation. This is more than the Lego models that we build and sit on our shelf. Sure, we made them, but now they sit there collecting dust, lifeless and forgotten. But this verse refers to a people living and in relationship with the one who made them. When Israel sang this, they were that people. God chose Abraham out of all the people on earth and promised to make his family a great nation. It was Israel that God took by providence to live in Egypt during the famine. It was Israel that God took by his power out of Egypt and out of slavery. It was Israel that God led into the promised land of Canaan. Despite their failings and their routine disobedience, he remained faithful to them. His love for them was steadfast. At every moment, he was their God and they were his people, unique amongst the nations of the earth. But you and I are not ancient Israel. What has this psalm got to do with us? We have to go through Jesus. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, we read, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. You and I, not ancient Israel, become the people of God through faith in Jesus Christ. In his death, he triumphed over what separated us from the God who made us, our own sin. And when we put our trust in Jesus, God does something supernatural. He recreates us. He spiritually remakes us now in right relationship with him. Once we had no access to the good of life, now we have access to him by the work of Jesus in us. Did we deserve it? No. Don't fool yourself. 
You might be able to look at others and say, I'm not as bad as them. But can you look at God and say, I'm as good as him? No, we didn't deserve it. But God did it so that you and I have the opportunity to live life as it is supposed to be. They are the three truths that explain the world, the perfect world of this psalm. The Lord is God and not the alternatives. The Lord is good unlike the alternatives. And he made for himself a people who are his. Whoever sings this psalm acknowledges these truths and boy do they sound happy about it. No sadness, no lament, a world in which everything is right with God. We're at point six, when to sing this song. I was at a funeral and the family had chosen this beautiful song to play during the ceremony. But when the person at the sound desk pressed play, we got 10 seconds of I Feel Good by James Brown. Now, that didn't really happen. (laughs) But there are songs for different occasions. You don't sing I Feel Good at a funeral. What is the right occasion for this psalm? There's a moment in the Christian life where these words obviously apply, and that is the moment of your salvation. You might not have had this moment yet, where for the first time in your life you realise that faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus lets you live life as it is supposed to be. But this is a song of joy which makes absolute sense in that moment. The problem is... Life is not exclusively positive. Some of us did not bounce into church this morning full of gladness and gratitude. What if I came in feeling exhausted, heartbroken, or ashamed? What I want to say is, this is still a song for you. From the moment of salvation until we sing it in heaven, this is still a song for you. Why? Because by entering into the world of this psalm, you allowed God to reorientate your heart and mind, to be reminded of his perspective, to be re-stirred by what he has done in you. God uses his songs to affect us. You might not see the change right away as you say these words. Try watching a child grow. You could stare at them for a year. You won't see it happen in time, but you will see the growth over time. Sometimes you need to sing a song like this by faith and not emotion and let God's word go to work slowly and surely in your heart. Of course, as we read our way through all of the psalms, there are songs that feel more appropriate, psalms of lament, psalms of pain, psalms that speak to specific situations of suffering, which is why we need to notice another detail in this psalm. It isn't a song written for the individual. This is a song written for the congregation. 
Notice the plurals. When we gather together, God does something corporately in all of us that he doesn't do with us individually. This is a psalm for the gathered people of God to remind all of us what he has done for all of us and to return our combined thanks back to him. When I'm not feeling it, but I say these words with my congregation, I'm not being fake, I'm being faithful to him and to each of you. So don't hear me wrong, we sometimes think that we need to perform for those around us to to say the right words and look like we mean it, but that's not the right burden to bear. Faithfulness doesn't have to look happy. God loves the one who is exhausted, the one who is, is broken. God is not lacking. He doesn't need us to perform and top him up to get him out of bed. The song isn't about what we might bring to him, but about what he is doing in us. We're at point seven. Overflow. The world of Psalm 100 is the spiritual reality for the people of God, living in right relationship with him. It's one thing to have our hearts stirred by it on a Sunday as we say it together. But life is also lived Monday to Saturday. I'd like to hope that the perfect world of Psalm 100 might creep into your life this week. There are seven imperatives in this psalm. Shout, serve, come, acknowledge, enter, thank, bless. Life in relationship with God is responsive and active. Now, with some poetic license of our own, I thought we could summarise it into five. Five possible responses, five possible ways the world of Psalm 100 might overflow into our week. If you're a note taker, you'll love this. We've got gladness, great gratitude, goodness, singing, and sharing. You might like to choose one of these and make it your overflow for this week. Firstly, gladness. God's people are glad that he is God and not one of the alternatives. He is not volatile or selfish or absent. He is not indifferent or distant. We do not serve him under compulsion, but gladly. He is good, caring, personal, kind. Life makes sense with him. So this week, when your boss blames you for something that was his fault, uh, when your spouse forgets to take the bins out, when someone cuts you off at a roundabout, when our Prime Minister does something, turn that emotion into gladness that none of them are God. In the words of Colin Buchanan, who writes classic after classic, You might have seen bad things happening on the TV news. You might be worrying about the world and wonder what will happen to you. Well, put your trust in God alone. He's still sitting on his mighty throne. The Lord is king. He's going to look after everything, every single thing. Be glad that God is God. Secondly, uh, gratitude. Without God, there is no life. Without Jesus, there is no new life. 
Express your gratitude for life and new life. Some of us here and most people out there are yet to find it. So if you have found it, be grateful. This week, why don't you write seven one-line prayers of gratitude, one for each day. You can keep them simple. Dear God, thank you for today's sunshine. Dear God, thank you for coffee with a friend. See what daily gratitude does for the way you see your week. God is the source of everything that is good. Express your thanks to him. Thirdly, goodness. God is good and there is an expectation that as we are remade in him, regenerated by him, that we might also also express the good. That is, we will live our life the way it is supposed to be. What opportunity do you have this week to express the goodness of God? Now, we could go negative and talk about the things you need to stop, but today I want to go positive. What are the things that you can do? What opportunity do you have this week to express the goodness of God to those around you? Who can you be kind to, patient with, hospitable towards, generous with your time and your money? Jesus didn't die because you are good, so no one needs to pretend that we're perfect, but Jesus did die to bring us back to the good. So let's let a little bit of his goodness overflow into our week. Fourthly, singing. In one sense, this is an easy application for us because there's music organised for us every Sunday. We just show up and follow along. As we join together, though, let me encourage you to sing by faith. Sometimes the emotion will lead you. Sometimes the emotion might catch up. Sometimes you might just need to be silent and let the voices of your brothers and sisters encourage your heart. But singing is a very powerful thing that God does with us, not just with you. Finally, sharing. In the world of Psalm 100, it is the whole earth who shouts with joy to the Lord. How good would that sound? But that is not the world as we know it, yet. There is a hope that as you receive new life in Christ, so it might spill out of you and splash onto those around you. This week, why don't you write down the name of one person who does not yet know that God is good and pray for them. Ask for the opportunity to share with them. And maybe if we all did that, a little more of the earth would have reason to shout with joy this week. The world we inhabit is the world that affects us. So this week, don't just be stirred by the world of Psalm 100 on a Sunday, but let it creep into your life Monday to Friday. Choose one of those five things and go for it. Here's how we're going to finish this morning. God has given us songs that are written to be performed, not dissected. By actually saying the words, we reinforce in our hearts and minds who God is and what he has done. Sometimes we'll feel it, 
Sometimes we'll say it by faith. We're going to finish by performing the psalm together one last time. This time, though, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to say the line in italics, and I want you to respond with the words that are in bold. Let's do it together. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Amen.